a blessing with the tune. Uh, my, one of my granddaughters uh, went to USC and graduated as a Fulbright scholar, and she was sent by the Fulbright group to be a representative for the United States for a year in Argentina. So she was flying out of New York City and uh, took a picture of her fourth grade journal when she was at Faith uh, Christian School in Pembine. And she had on there, my goal in life is to be a missionary in Argentina uh, in her fourth grade. So she took a picture and sent it to Charlene and me as uh, she went uh, all over uh, the nation of Argentina as a Fulbright representative, but had multiple chances, very fluent in Spanish. So when I hear them talking, and she married now a Mexican uh, boy, and so they talk South American all the time, I call it. And they said, no, it's Spanish. Well, I should call it South American, whatever. And I said, I was in Argentina or Uruguay, and I was fluent almost within a week. Taco, uh, bueno, uh, what are some of the... I said, so I, I had become fluent in this. I'd go by the cooks there, and I said, man, I am fluent. But thank you for the ministry to so many Spanish uh, in the United States of America. So Tori now, they have a ministry before they go to Mexico... Uh, with uh, post-school, the ones falling through the cracks, and it's all those who are Spanish-speaking. And uh, the director that was uh, under the, the medical director under President Trump flew to South Carolina to see what Tory was doing and sat in on the sessions because they said this could be duplicated across the United States to rescue kids, but the blessing is they're giving these kids the gospel and they're getting saved. And uh, that is, uh, so when I hear the Spanish songs, I can say amen, and you look nice, uh, but I can understand the spirit behind all that. What a, what a blessing. Thank you so much. It's, it's humbling for me to be here. It really is. And I just thank the Lord for Pastor, the years, 25 plus years here, the men that we got to meet this morning who are the deacons here. And I've never seen a mission presentation board like you have here. I'm very, very impressed with keeping the missionaries current. And that means a ton. I think one missionary came off the field, went to one of his supporting churches, came in the back, and uh, they didn't even recognize him. He said, obviously, we're not getting prayed for, but you keep it before the people, and, and what a blessing. And pray for them. Get them on your prayer list. And uh, you study sometime just the prayer request of Paul. One great study I've done is the prayers of Paul. But then another study is the prayer request of Paul. And you will get a perfect pattern for how to pray for missionaries if you just take the prayer request that Paul made in his writings. And what a, what a thrill and what a blessing that is. Turn to First Thessalonians 
chapter 1. And I want to talk about our responsibility as a church. What should we be doing in living an impact in this world for the glory of God? You remember Saul of Tarsus was one who hated the very thought of what he called away, the followers of Christ. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. You look in Philippians chapter 3, the early part of the chapter, what his pedigree was. And, and when the gospel came and the gospel began to spread, Saul of Tarsus made it his goal to destroy the, uh, the way, the way of Christ, the Christians, putting them to death, locking them in prison, in all of the things and all of the aspects that were involved in, in all of that work. And as you look at uh, Paul was in charge of stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, Saul of Tarsus was watching the garments. I think Saul got very, very angry that his mentor, Gamaliel, I think he saw his mentor weakening when they went to Gamaliel said, what are we going to do? This is getting out of hand. And he said, if it be of men, third class condition, which means highly unlikely. But then he says, but if it be of God, first class condition, which could be translated since this is from God, if you find it, you will find yourself fighting against God himself. I think Paul got word of that. His mentor turning this way. Stephen was stoned, and I think he saw the glow of God on Stephen's face. I think he heard the whisper, lay not this sin to their charge. Because he saw in that glow the son standing at the right hand of the father, not sitting, standing, welcoming home the first martyr of the Christian church. And Paul got papers from Jerusalem officials, pushed north toward Damascus, and his life was intersected by Jesus Christ. Asked two key questions. Who are you, Lord? What do you want me to do? Two key questions every one of us need to answer. Who is Jesus Christ to me? What does Jesus Christ want me to do? Paul then, by his own testimony, did not go to Jerusalem with the disciples. He went to the backside of the desert, God showing Saul of Tarsus who he was, Saul of Tarsus realizing who he himself was. Life completely transformed. With his education background, some felt he probably had the equivalent of two earned doctorates. In the Roman study, in the Roman system, and I think probably one of his heroes in his Roman study was Alexander the Great. And I think when Saul of Tarsus became a believer, 
He thought, you know, if Alexander the Great had his goal to conquer city after city after city after city marching through, I think we see who later became the Apostle Paul, his goal was to go conquer city after city after city after city for the gospel of Christ. Thessalonians, in Thessalonica, is one of those cities. And we find that in verse 1, Paul is writing, and by the way, Paul only had about three weeks with this church before he was run out and Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Now note this, remembering without ceasing. So I'm going to break this into two categories. Number one, chapter one is remembering. Chapter two is reminding them of the stewardship of the gospel. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith. Number one, you go back in your mind and recall when you became a believer. You remember when you became a believer, when the gospel was given to you, when your heart was opened, when the Spirit of God convicted you and you cried out unto God and became a child of God. That work is the, the Greek word here, work is ergon, it's energetic work. It's the energy that comes when you're a newborn believer that came out of faith. In other words, uh, this happened in your life, and Paul said, I remember how excited you got and energetically you engaged in the work of Christ that was coming out of your saving faith. The instant evidence I remember about you is when you got saved, you instantly, energetically engaged yourself. You remember when you first got saved? There was this, oh, this new, what a, what a message. I remember I was in Virginia Beach, Virginia at a church, and there was a guy from the Navy, a, a, Navy, a sailor, got saved in, in the church. And he was brand new, born again. He'd come in and said, came in to, to meet us at the church. He said, praise the Lord, I wrecked my car drove his car into a tree. He was hallelujah. <laughs> I mean, you can't get a newborn like that discouraged. I thought, well, that's a different approach to wrecking a car. And But you know what? It was just, he just got into it. What a blessing. It's still a blessing in my memory. And now look in verse 9. We see a verb that matches this. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering when we had unto you, how ye turned to God from idols. So this is that work that came out of faith. In other words, Paul says you turned to God from idols. In other words, you were going this direction and you now are going the other direction as fast as you can towards God's will and God's work. And then he said, I remember the labor of lava. This is a different word. This is kapos. This is labor that potentially could produce death. Paul said, I remember you excitedly got serving. Excitedly because you were newborns. But then he said, I also noticed that you entered the labor 
And note that comes out of what? Love, agape. 1 Corinthians 13. Paul says, you got a hold of the truth. You got a hold of the fruit of the spirit. You got a hold of the fact that the labor now, in other words, you committed to this, even if it meant my death. Completely different, a newborn excitement to where you'd grow and you come to a point where you're saying, God, I will commit myself to do this work. I praise God for your pastor and brother who went to Manila and then throughout the Philippines. No easy trip. You might think, boy, it'd be nice to travel. <laughs> Nay, my Lord, as Shakespeare would say. <laughs> it's miserable, really. People say, you like to travel. I said, no, I love the ministry. I hate travel because it's a pain, it, especially after 9-11. It, it's a pain. And, uh, and so, but there is this labor. Now, all of a sudden, you, you left the convenience of being a new birth, excited newborn. Now you enter by choice into the labor that comes out of deep love that can only be produced by the Holy Spirit in you. Now look in verse 9. Again, ye turn to God from idols. What's the next verb there? To serve. Now that serving matches exactly the labor that came out of love. And as you say, as I grow in my Christian life and as the fruit of the Spirit becomes more evident in my life, we should become more evidently concerned. I am willing to sacrifice. You know, one of the interesting things that COVID showed us is what kind of Christians we had. You mean to tell me I'm going to get out of my pajamas? Thank you, Lord, for COVID. I can stay in my pajamas. COVID's long over and they're still in their pajamas. But you know what it is? Not going from that excited newborn to I'm willing to pay a price to be committed and count with the people of God for the cause of Christ. Paul says, I remember this about you. And then he said, the patience that comes out of hope. And that patience is sourced in the word hope. And look what it says in verse 10. And to wait. Note, ye turned to serve, to wait. What was that? The ultimate coming. You know what we should do when we are anticipating the rapture? Every man that has his hope in him does what? Purifies himself, even as he is pure. When we lose sight of the fact that the rapture is nigh, we lose sight of the fact that one of the most purifying elements of the church is a believer. Because when we believe he could come back today, to wait for his son from heaven, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. And so we see the work, the labor, the patience. That is what Paul remembered about those believers. Now, what happened to those believers? They got the gospel spread. Look in verse 6. You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. 
From you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that we need not speak anything. So Paul is saying what was evident in you, what I remember, this word did not come just in word only, but in the power of the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. And we know what manner of people you were. So that now you became followers and you became examples. And now from you sounded the word. That's the local church ministry, sounding that word to a lost world. How diligent are we with that? You know, I'm on an airplane and I'm sitting, I have a bridge tracks with me. And, and I'm thinking, I'm as old as dirt. Why do I still have that fear? of talking to someone about the gospel. And I analyze myself, counsel myself, and it's pride. Fear of how you're perceived. I was flying, in fact, this last trip, I think, to flying into Tokyo a few months back. Sat next to a guy. He, yet, You know, anymore you get on phone, they put the earphones on, and, and you're almost shut off. But... He, he took his earphone down. We were somewhere over Alaska, I think. And, and um, I said, so where are you going? He said, well, we, I'm, I, we, I'm going on to our, our home in, and he named one of the islands, going into Japan. He said, my family, he said, I'm retired, very successful businessman, but I'm still working in, in some ways. And he said, what my son and I and my wife do, we found every every major ski lodge in the world. And he said, some of the most major ones are in Japan. And he said, so-and-so. And he said, there's one we're landing over. And he said, there's one there and, and, and so on. And he said, well, what do you do? I said, well, at when I became a believer, I gave my life to serve the Lord and to give the gospel. And I said, uh, that's basically what we do. That's what my wife and I have done for years. And he says, well, you know, you're doing something worthwhile. All I have done is recreation. And I thought, you know, you give a tract and somebody makes that statement. You know, some people's whole life is recreation-oriented. But what about eternity? What about what is coming? And, uh, and I, I talked to myself. I just landed in Detroit just a few days back. And we were taxiing, and I had this tract. And I said, sir, I want to I give this to you. This tells you what's coming next how you can prepare for eternity. Man was very grateful for that. And I thought, why was I, why did I fear that? As old as I am and as many years as we've done this. Because we, the tendency is, we have to be rightly perceived and not want to be considered to be half-wits. Well, we are, so let the world know. Uh, now, what did Paul resist? 
We see the gospel was given, the gospel received, and the gospel impacted huge sections. Chapter 2, what did Paul resist? For ye yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. So Paul is saying, my entrance was not an empty entrance to you. But it was marked by a living reality. But even after we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, and we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. So Paul gave the gospel, and his message was of strong biblical content and strong personal courage. Paul said, I came to you, I gave you biblical content, but I also did this with biblical courage. And then verse 3, for our exhortation was not in deceit. So what did Paul resist? Paul resisted guile. Our exhortation was not of deceit or uncleanness nor in guile. In other words, I didn't do any bait and switch with you. I came straight to you with the gospel. I didn't think that we had to trick these people into believing no guile. Boy, what a lesson that is for a modern church. Because we have to come up with ways. How, how can we be non-offensive to the world? I'm thinking the gospel is a divider. And the Spirit of God will take that truth. And Paul resisted greed and gain. Nor a cloak of covetousness, he says in verse 5. Neither at any time used we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. I didn't come smoozing you. I came straight at you with the truth. And I had no interest in taking from you. My burden was to give you truth. And then he resisted glory. Neither of man sought we glory. Neither of you. You know, it's interesting that uh, God hates idolatry. When you study through the Old Testament and you think when God brought the severe judgment on his people, severe judgment on nations, after hundreds of years of preaching, there was no repentance, but stronger into idolatry, these nations, God would bring utter destruction. He hates idolatry. And you might think, well, thank the Lord, at least we don't have idols today. We have four major idols that we have to guard. Idol number one, that crawl on the shelf of our hearts. Idol number one is the idol of my reputation, my image. How do I appear? The idol of my will. I will choose what I want. The idol of my things. The idol of my pleasures. These idols constantly try to creep up on the shelf. Idol shelf in our hearts. There's one prayer in the Bible that unseats all four of those idols. Our Father which art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name, not my name. It's not me, my reputation. Thy will be done, not my will be done. 
Give us this day our daily bread. I'm not clinging to things. God just supply for me daily. Lead us not into temptation. The idol of our lust and our temptations. And so those idols have to constantly be taken down daily as we come. God, it's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about my things. It's not about my pleasures. But it's about you and about your glory. And Paul says, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. He resisted guile. He resisted greed. He resisted glory. What did Paul reflect? Let's look on in the passage here. Verse 7. For we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. Paul reflected the love of a nursing mother. The tenderness that is explained here, how this rough, rugged, missionary-driven man reflects the tenderness that he had for those who were God's children who had come to know Christ. He said, for we were gentle among you, even as a nursing mother. And so we see the love of a mother. We see the nourishment. We see the affection in verse 8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. Paul said, we not only gave you the word, we gave you ourselves. The most potent ministry verse in the Bible to me is 2 Corinthians twelve fifteen. Because the Paul said the thorn in the flesh there was given. I think there were two things. I think one, there was a physical thorn. I think the other was, was people or a person. Because he said, I glory in infirmity, but he also gloried in ignominy. And in verse uh, 15 of chapter 12 of Second Corinthians, he said, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, knowing the more I love you, the less I be loved. Paul said, I will very gladly Spend, I'll give you my things. And be spent, I'll literally give you myself. Knowing that as I do that, the more I love you, the less I'm going to be loved by you. And Paul said, I very gladly. That's only from a godly heart. The flesh cannot produce that. And we see that clearly reflected here in First Thessalonians chapter 2, where he says, we give... Affection, verse 8, so being affectionately desires of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not just the gospel, but our own souls, because you were dear unto us. Paul said, I gave you me. That's hard for people to do. You know, very easy to take care of yourself, to nurture yourself, to baby yourself. And then we see devotion there in verse 8 affectionately desirous of you, willing to have imparted unto you the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. Very devoted thought. You know, if we as believers function in this realm, and I, I loved watching you all fellowship with each other this morning, 
And I understand probably with the time change or the weather that there were several probably who aren't here this morning. Or they might have gotten word who was preaching said, there's no way I'm going to stay away from that place this morning. He reflected the love of a mother, but he also reflected the care of a father. Look in verse 9. For we remember, brethren, ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, laboring night and day because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preach unto you the gospel of God. Paul says we worked expecting nothing for what we were doing. We did not want to be chargeable to any one of you. And then his walk, look in verse 10. You witness of God also while holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believed. Paul says not only the work we did among you, but also the walk. What was that walk? It was a holy walk. It was a just walk. It was an unblameable walk. I mean, Paul was just reminding them of when I was with you, how we worked with you. So the care of a father in his work, the care of a father in his walk, the care of a father in his words. Look in verse 11. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. And study each one of those words the works that are given and charged you and worked with you. But he was saying our words were very effective as a father instructing a son. And, and you dads know what it's like to instruct your, your children and, and God knows. And then what did Paul request? Look in verse 12. That ye would walk worthy. In other words, a henna closure. In order that you would walk worthy. Why did we do this way? Why did we live this way among you? In order that you might walk worthy. And so we find a worthy walk there in verse 12. Walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. Not only a worthy walk, but an effectual work. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which ye heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God which effectually worketh in you that believe. So the word's effectual work. That's one of the confidence. When you go out soul winning and you give the word, you give a gospel tract, that's the word of God that works into that heart. And Paul says that's an effectual work that the word of God will do. And then I close as I'm running out of time here. What did Paul reap? And we see verse 14, ye brethren became followers of the churches of God in Judea, which are in Christ, for ye have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they please not God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved. Fill up their sins always, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. 
Paul said, they're living, they're living, they're living, they're sowing, they're sowing, they're sowing, and they're filling up their wrath, that cup of wrath that is to come upon those who are living in this ungodly way. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavor to more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Paul said, I long to see you face to face. And that's the true heart of a mentor, true heart of one who disciples. I just long to to see you again. I could tell your pastor uh, when we were talking last night, can't wait to get to church tomorrow. You know why he wanted to see your faces? You know why? Because he loves you. And I love to hear that from a pastor. I want to get back there. I want to see them. And uh, maybe you weren't so glad to see him, but he was sure glad to see you. Wherefore, we should have come unto you, even as I, Paul. <coughs> but Satan hindered us. I don't know what that hindrance is. Some believe that Jason uh, identified with them. Jason's house was hard against the synagogue. Paul got run out of the synagogue. And they began to persecute Jason. And uh, some believe that if Paul ever re-entered that city... Paul would not be slain, but Jason would be put under severe judgment. And Paul had such a love for them that he said, I have to write to you. I can't come to see you face to face. Satan has hindered me from doing that. But what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? So now what did Paul reap? What is our hope? And believers, here's what we have to have as a clinging point in our life. What is our hope? What is our joy? What is our crown of rejoicing? Are not even you, ye, in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when at his coming? What does Paul again? He reminds them the Lord is coming. Are we ready? Gichigumi Bible Camp. I remember just when I was first introduced as an unsafe person, you'd walk by this sign and it said, perhaps today that sign is still on that tree from the early 1950s. Perhaps today. Perhaps today. Do we live in light of that? For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Is it not ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Paul says, you know what I'm looking forward to? You know what my plan of reaping is it's you it's eventual and it's eternal you are our joy and rejoicing is it not you in the presence of our lord jesus christ that is coming for you are our glory and joy paul says you know what the glory and joy is converts you heard the gospel, you received the gospel, and now you have become the joy and rejoicing of our Do we live in that hope? Paul reaped hope. And you know what? We live in a world that has lost hope and how we need to keep our minds focused in the right direction. You know, I don't know, how many of you remember when the United States teenagers beat the Soviet pros in 1980. How many of you remember that? I mean, that was one of the top athletic events in probably in the last hundred years. And uh, 
never expected because these were Russian pros and they were playing against our kids. I was flying to speak at a at a youth conference. They were doing a weekend retreat in in uh, Texas, Longview, Texas. I was flying into Dallas. The game was being played while I was on the plane going into Dallas. And when I landed at the airport in Dallas, there was shouting and, and there was rejoicing. Well, I was going to the camp where... Uh, they were having a tape, but they none of them wanted to know how the game ended. They were going to watch it after the evening service because that was such a big deal. Well, I got to Dallas, and uh, I knew we had won. And my wife doesn't watch sports with me because I'm not mature enough. <laughs> And some of you men might be able to relate to this. She said, honey, can't you just watch a game? I said, no. Not when there are brain-dead people involved. <laughs> and uh, she said, well, what's the difference? I mean, I said, if I'm, whatever team I'm for, I know. I'll, I can curse them. She said, that's voodoo. I said, it is not. Not when I have 55 years of record-keeping scientific evidence that this indeed is true. I remember when Michigan was the national championship basketball. My kids made me, they believed, they made me go in the garage, get out of the room. And Michigan won, and they said, Dad, you can come in now. Because they believe it, too. My wife never became a believer, but everybody else who knows me. Packers could be 21 points ahead with 17 seconds left in the game. I walk in, they lose by three. <laughs> I gave up being a Lions fan all the years in Detroit. I gave up being a Lions fan because the medication and the counseling got way too expensive. <laughs> so I went back to my Packer faithful. But I knew who won. If I'm watching a game, if a shoe is handy, it, what are they thinking? She said, honey. I said, never mind. I watch the way I watch. Well, I got to that camp, and they put the game playing, and I was rushing, scored, and Amen. You know why I was so relaxed? You know why I wasn't throwing shoes or chairs? Because I knew who won. And you know why? As a believer, I have to apply that same thing. I know we are on the winning team and we win. And it hinders me from getting all cranked. And then you think, okay, God, our God is in control. Now, I'm not that way with every game. Now, there are some games I don't, I don't uh, care about, so I, I can be very calm. My son Stephen would tell me, Dad, even if you don't care about either team, halfway through you pick a team and then you get all cranked. <laughs> I said, I know, that's bad. <laughs> not mature, not mature. And... Uh, my wife said, you going to watch the Packer game this afternoon? I said, no, I'm not mature enough. 
and I don't. I know what. When I get more mature, I will start watching again. Anyway, that's beside the point. The point is we win. We win. That's the hope. So we're not just we're not just going along with in blind faith here. We know the absolute truth. And that's why Paul says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. They're all perfect tenses. I have been fighting. I have been finishing. I have been keeping. Paul did not say that I have attained. Paul says, but I show up every day for battle. Henceforth, he said, there is laid for me a crown of righteousness. That's the reward that Paul was looking for. Henceforth, there is laid for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to those who love his appearing. Are we looking for his coming? Are we living like we anticipate his coming? Let's bow our heads together. As a body of believers, pastor will come and close. As a body of believers, I think it's very refreshing and needful for us to get into the word and see God's pattern for a usable body of believers. And we see the fruit of the gospel and then we see the fruit of obedience after the gospel has been received. Then we pay the price to get involved in distributing that truth. If you're here this morning and you say, I don't, I still don't have assurance of salvation. uh, You can talk to someone and get that matter settled. But for those of us who are believers, myself included, it's another commitment to walk in obedience this day for God's glory. Father, have your way in our hearts. Thank you for the privilege to open your book this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.